Love Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge, get a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Hi everyone, good morning. This is Fran Lewis. This is MJ Network. MJ, a memory of my sister Marsha Joyce, and this is going to really be cool. <laughs> I hope so. And at the top of the book, I have the back cover. It says, Death Makes Great TV. Wouldn't you like to know what that means? I just want everybody <laughs> to know that this is the imagination of phenomenal author Brian Johnston. And he he just made it up. This is not going to be real, but you're going to want to read this. And I hope you don't get any crazy Thank ideas, you. but this is really good. Frankie Percival is cashing in on her chips to save her brother from financial ruin. Frankie, a single performer and mentalist, that's cool, who never made it big, agrees to be assassinated on the most popular television show on the planet, Death Warrant. And that's all I'm going to say, because the author is going to tell you more. Welcome to MJ Network. Thank you. Glad to be here. So tell us, how did you come to write this? And give us a brief summary without telling them too much, because we want people to read this. (laughs) Okay, well... Um, I've got about a 45-minute commute uh, to work every day, and I, use, I frequently use that time to brainstorm ideas for books. And one day I was driving to work, and the idea came to me, would you want to know when you are going to die? And I thought, well, that's kind of an interesting question. So I started kind of rolling around in my head. And then um, I thought, you know, let's push it even further. Would you want to know? I wouldn't want to know. No, I would not want to know. And I thought, well, what if somebody could monetize that, okay? And I just kept pushing the absurdity beyond that. And I finally came to the point of a reality TV show that will kill you on national television or worldwide television. But the thing is, they wipe your memory clean. So you don't know that you're going to be killed. So you go about your life acting perfectly normal, not knowing that you are going to be killed on TV. There That's you go. so scary. I don't want to know anything. I'm just going to be here no, forever, I, I decided. Either. I don't want to know yeah. anything at all. And lately, I'm very careful about even going out near people because I don't want to get sick ever. So it's, <laughs> it's scary. So how does the prologue set the stage for what comes next? And the first scene introduces Frankie and her mode of speech. I like her. Yeah, so do I. That was, um, you know, you, you said that uh, the book, you, you felt the book was kind of was scary. And mm. the premise, you know, it, it, it is scary, okay? The premise is scary. But I purposely tried to temper it with a lot of humor. Frankie's just a fun character. She's sarcastic. She is just, she's just, she's fun. That's the best way I can describe her. She's likable. She's an enjoyable person to be around. She's a person you want to sit around, you know, and have a beer with, or at least in Frankie's case, it'd be wine, too much wine. Um, and that's just the way she is. She's just a, a likable, pleasant person, which I thought would make a real good foil to the fact that she's going to be killed or is supposed to be killed because you want to root for her. I wonder how many people would do what she did for her brother or sister. I mean, I adored my sister. I miss her. And my brother, but I don't think I would go that far to do that. Uh-uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Well, that's exactly right. That's why I wanted to make sure that I tried to show that her life was, you know, it was just okay. But she's a mentalist, you know. She's mind reader, magician type mm. thing. But she just does, you know, she does bar mitzvahs and she does office parties and she works at a low-rent theater. She's always hoped to be famous but it just hasn't happened. And so her life is just meh. 
All right. And since she's been helping look after her brother, she hasn't been on a date in 10 years, so she really mm. has no social life. Her only social life is she pays, there's a service called Best mm-hmm. Friend for Hire, and she pays to have somebody to hang out with. That's how, how low her life has become. And so she thinks, you know, what am I going to miss? I'm not, nothing's going on in my life, but I can completely, I can restore something to my brother's life. He's going to get a windfall, a humongous millions of dollars as a result of my debt. So mm-hmm. she is so committed to him, and he's such a good person that she thought, why not? What the heck? But did she never realize that the most important thing to him is her? Seriously? Exactly. Of course, of course, that is the case. Yep. What is the reason for coming to Benjamin's office? Who is he? And I understand her rationale, but why sign up for that without even knowing that well, you're signing again, it after a while? So uh, just for the listeners, Benjamin is one of the account executives at the television show Death Warrant, and he's, you know, he sits down with her and talks through the process, and he's utterly professional and very kind. In fact, that that's, brings up an interesting point. Um, the villain for this story is a TV show. All right, well, how can I make the TV show a villain? Um, well, they kill people, okay? That's what they do. Um, but I wanted to ma- – I hate stupid villains. I hate villains that twirl their mustache. I hate villains mm-hmm. that rub their hands together. And so I wanted to make – everything about the show as dignified and professional as possible. You know, they don't refer mm. to the shows as shows. It's not a show. It is an episode. And the people that participate on the shows are, they are called souls or participants. And they are treated with the utmost respect. Okay? Very professional. And that is how Benjamin treats her as well. And so she shows up at this very, very nice facility and chats with the people. Mm. And they're so nice. And they're so helpful. And they think that she's doing the the best thing in the world, that she is willing to sacrifice so much for the betterment of somebody else. That she just, they make her feel good about the decision. And that makes it a lot easier for her to, you know, metaphorically pull the trigger. I would be suspicious if anybody was that nice. My God, for that. <laughs> but I, I, I don't want to know what would have happened if she changes her mind because basically she knows all about it and they might decide to kill her anyway. Because once you no, know no, what's no, going to no, happen. No, well, but that's just it. You don't. Once you're during the, during the, you know, if you get into the interview process, if they agree to, to have you on the show and you sign sign the paperwork, yeah. then, then, then. They start to erase your memory. So once Maybe you some leave people that don't building, want to remember. <laughs> well, they have no choice in the matter. Once she signed the paperwork, the memory is wiped clean. She leaves the building, has no clue, doesn't even know that she's even been to the building, has no idea that she's even considered the idea of being on death warrant. That's so scary. She doesn't get a chance to change her mind. They changed it for her by wiping it clean. So what would have happened if she didn't sign? That That's the scary part. Because once she's there they still wipe, and they're explaining they it, it's too late, right? Yeah, well, once again, if, if you walk into that building, your memory is going to be wiped clean, whether you sign the paper or not. Um, oh, they, God. Um, so, yeah, you don't you don't have an, uh, an option in this field. You, they make sure they cover their bases. When I was writing the book, I sat down and went, okay, I tried to – she holds in every single thing, every decision. Okay, how could somebody argue that? And I would mm-hmm. sit there and go, okay, I have to, I've got to cover my bases here, cover my bases here, cover my bases here. That's scary. So we have Klaus, Sheila, Margaret, and Myrna. Who are mm-hmm. they? And what was Myrna's role? She's really scary. Oh, uh, Myrna's cool. She's like a, she's like a grandmother. She's nice. She's a very yeah. nice woman. She is the person who interviews yeah, I know. candidates to, de- to determine whether they make a good story, make, whether they make good TV, okay? And so she 
she interviews you and she she gets you to talk. She is such a nice woman. She you she just want to talk with her. You want to spill your guts. You want to tell her everything, and that's her role. She it's her job to determine whether or not you make good TV. If you've got a good backstory, that's my It was scary. Ooh. So how did you create the interactions between her and Frankie? You, you, we wouldn't even know what she was trying to do. She just sort of sucked her in. Right. I guess I just took it, you know, every time you go out and you, if, when you hang out with people, you know whether some people are just really good listeners. Yeah. And people are attracted to people with really good listeners, okay? And that's what I wanted to make Myrna like. She's a really good listener. You know, she just, she like I said, she looks like a grandmotherly type person, and she's very mm-hmm. empathetic and compassionate and nods a lot and agrees with you. And so uh, that's that's how I made her. Just, you know, she's the person you want us to just tell everything to you. Well, that makes it not so terrible, but then she really doesn't know what not so terrible is. So tell us about her brother. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> when when, uh, when I meet, diff- I'm very perceptive, and my mother used to, com- my, my husband used to complain, I either like you or hate you the minute I meet you. It's really bad. My uh, grandmother was like sure. that. And yeah. I, I could tell right away when somebody, if someone doesn't look you in the eye and they sort of to the side, it was so nice to meet you. Yeah, you're baloney. So tell us All about right. Galen, and what was his disability? Well, Galen was, is uh, Frankie's brother, and he was, you know, as she says, he was so, had, he set such, such a high bar to live up to. He was, everybody liked him, and mm. he was super, super smart. So he had the world, you know, by the tail. He was going to graduate. He was going to go to an Ivy League school. He was going mm. to make a bazillion dollars. And then he was in a horrific uh, car accident, motorcycle accident. I forget which it is actually now. <laughs> but mm. he had terrible brain damage. Um, and so mm. now, I mean, he can't, he can't even be, a, 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 he can't hold a job. You know, he, he works like, a, he has jobs like cat sitting and, and a greeter at, at uh, Costco and things like that. Whereas before, he was going to be anything he wanted. You know, and he went to, this was 50 years in the future, okay? And he's going to Brown University. And so he, after going to school there, he was probably $800,000, almost a million dollars in debt with no oh, way God. of paying it off. No way of paying it off. So he's financially ruined for the rest of his life. And that's the reason why Frankie decided to do what she did. I'm glad I didn't know about that. Seriously? My mom was diagnosed in nineteen in two thousand and three with Alzheimer's, permanent Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. not even dementia. And by the time she passed away in two thousand eleven I wasn't dead about that much money <laughs> from paying for her home care. <laughs> I didn't know about the show. Yeah, I'm, uh, trust me, I lost my mom to, to Alzheimer's as well, so I'm well familiar with that. It's horrible. I was paying $7,000 a month for her home care tonight. Yeah. That wasn't the days until the aide left her on the street corner and I got the rest of it. But I'm still paying it off, but I don't know anywhere near that much. But, yeah, I'm going to didn't know this. So sure. who is Baltic. He's an illusionist. So how did they learn to perform together? He was interesting. Yeah, Baltic. Baltic Jones. I just wanted to give him a goofy name because I know he just seemed to mm. there seemed to mm. be so many parents that decide we're going to give our kid a weird name just because we think it's interesting. So it's Baltic a cool name. Jones. It is. He's, uh, he's a uh, he's young guy and he's not an illusionist so much. He He's kind of a jack-of-all-trades magician. He likes mm. doing, you know, all he'll do anything from spinning plates to uh, to mime work to to uh, some of the illusion work. But he he loves what he does. He absolutely loves it, and he works at the same low rent theater that Frankie does. And they just kind of are kind of a yin and yang. She's older than him, and kind of almost like a little bit of a mentor towards him. But she 
she recognizes he's got the it, the it factor. He's got the potential to really be something special. And uh, she, she admires that, you know, she, she likes what she does. She's really good at what she does also, but she could sense that he has got whatever that X factor is that she may not have herself. That's amazing. So who is Jack and who is Grayson? Grayson's interesting. You have to, you have, you have to excuse me. I couldn't hear you. You were like, sounded like you were in the distance there. Now, can you hear me? Uh, who is Dak and who is Grayson? How's Aguara? Oh, okay. Uh, well, Dak, he's the owner of the theater, and he, mm. he's a guy who uh, he never swears. He uses all sorts of other funny ways of expressing himself without swearing, and he never calls people by their first names. He's always calling people things like kiddo or slick or tiger and <laughs> things like that. <clears throat> he's, he's, and he's also really, really frugal. He's a cheapskate. So that's Dak, the owner of the theater. Now, Grayson Hatagawa, he is a primary character in this book because mm-hmm. he is, imagine him, he's kind of like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. He's one of the wealthiest people on the planet. And he becomes so central to the book because uh, Frankie performs at his birthday party. Of course, he doesn't mm-hmm. know it's him that she's performing for until she gets there. And she's like, Oh my God, I'm performing for Grayson Hasegawa. And he is so taken by her performance that he wants to give her an opportunity for, you know, I mean, really the biggest opportunity that she could possibly imagine. She gives him, he gives him her a chance to perform um, for basically him and 500 of his wealthiest, most powerful friends. Mm. And so her, her ticket punch. She's got now a chance to really get the big time. But of course, you know, this is all, all this greatness is finally happening in her life. But while this is going on, the, the clock is ticking. But she doesn't know the clock is ticking. All while this is going on, Death Warrant is mapping out how they're going to kill her. And of course, she doesn't know that. Well, she doesn't want to do this a second time. She refuses, doesn't she? At first? Well, the the first time, yes. He yeah. offers her for a chance to perform at, at his big, uh, you know, uh, company event. And she turns it down because it's on the same day as the death, oh. uh, excuse me, the same day as her mom who passed away, her mom's birthday. Right. And that is such a sacred event to her. Her and her brother celebrate it in a very particular way. And that that uh, is inviolate. She will never, ever change that tradition. And so they, you know, Hasegawa and his staff think that she's absolutely bananas for turning her down. But then she comes around and uh, makes a counteroffer to do a, a different type of performance for him later on. That's scary. So we have Sheila. Oh, you don't want to mess with Sheila. How does she prepare? <laughs> She's scary. She. This is what she does. She prepares the episode yeah. for the victim. Yeah. How does she decide she's, without telling anybody how? How does she decide how the victim dies? And does she need approval from anybody, or does she just get away with doing it? She's scary. Well, she's the, she's one of the creative directors at Death Warrant, yeah. and that's her responsibility. It's her way. I. It's her job to come up with these creative methods of killing people, and oh, so fun. she she. She follows a lot of data. She listens intently to the interviews of the people with Myrna. And she's always looking and listening for clues that would help her make her decision. She also has a staff working with her. And they sit around Mm -hmm. and they brainstorm ways to kill people. Um, She's she's very clever and very very professional. um, And she's just very, very good at her job. I mean, before she did that, she was a wedding planner in Los Angeles, so she was well-suited for coming up with, you know, dealing with high-pressure, clever, creative uh, solutions for really persnickety people. Did you ever watch these? Pro- I watch them because my husband loves them and I love them, too. Forensic Files, Vanished, Snapped, and all of them. 
and you learn a serial. You learn how people kill people. Yesterday, I learned about a yeah. new drug that killed these people. People actually watch those programs because they're real. I would hate to think that they would yeah. get an idea to try it again. Yeah, and those are real people, unfortunately. So, yeah. tell us more about Klaus yeah. and who is Bosco. Oh, okay. Well, Klaus is he is the, the head of um, of Death Warrant. And he is an incredibly intimidating character. He's a German guy. He's big. He's just massive. He doesn't raise his voice very often, um, but he is just terrifying. He is a terrifying figure because he is so quietly serious and fierce, and you do not cross him. If you cross him, you will regret it to your dying day. Okay? That's, That's Klaus. And nobody screws with him. Um, uh, Klaus Manfred. Now Bosco. Bosco's not a person. Bosco's a, a thing. Bosco is the new illusion that Frankie has decided she is going to commit to. That she is spending all of her time and all of her efforts. He thinks that this new illusion is going to help put her over the top to get her mm-hmm. noticed to make her a star. And Bosco is this. It's a box on stage, okay, and it's got this basically like a transparent uh, stand-up coffin, okay, it's a clear box, you go inside of this box, and you're incinerated, you're burned alive, and everybody can see you burned alive, and yeah, that's, that's the illusion. And so she thinks that's going to freak people out. It's going to be so captivating that everybody's going to think, wow, who is this person? I must hire her. So that's what Bosco is. That's scary. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. I saw one of those programs last night where they actually did that, burn somebody alive. He wanted to get rid of his wife. She was in the way. It's uh, scary. Of course she was. But so much of what people write is is real, which is even scarier. So what mm-hmm. does Frankie do when she's in cafes or restaurants and Starbucks? And how do you know, uh, in yeah. spite of everything, how, she has a great powers of observation. You can't get, over, get one over on her. Yeah. No, she is, she's, she has a great uh, eye for things like that. She's kind of a what I like to call a poor man's um, Sherlock Holmes. She's really good observant. That's, that's her gift. That's why she makes such a great mentalist. She observes and she notices. And so she likes to hang out. Her favorite uh, coffee shop is called the, the Zombine Apocalypse. And she hangs out there, and she drinks her, her chai tea lattes, and she just watches people. And then she tries to predict what their story is by simply watching them. That's, that's her fun, and it helps keep her sharp. Now, of course, she has no idea if what her, she's guessing is true or not, but she enjoys the, the discipline nonetheless. She'll sit and watch a couple talking, and based on their body language and things like that, she'll put together a story of who they are and, and what they do and their relationship based on what she did and how just watching them. It's, it's just kind of a fun element of the book of what she does for fun herself. My husband hates when I do that when I'm in the bakery. Somebody will walk in and I'll say to him after she looks like whatever. Well, he looks like whatever. Uh-huh. He's he's got he's a sour grape. People don't smile. <laughs> they don't anything. And then somebody walked over the other day and took my Danish and said, "You have a lot of nerve." That was mine to start with. I just crack up laughing. They had, people have no sense of humor. It's so sad. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love doing what she does. You go into a restaurant and you know I don't go into too many. Well, I go into the pizza place and I look at people like, "Oh God, why is that person here?" You don't even like the pizza. And then somebody once sure. said to me, is this a good place? I said, I wouldn't go anywhere else. And they looked at me like, okay. So who is Audrey? <laughs> this is the this is the girl that uh, comes when she calls. I like Audrey. Yes. yes. Explain their relationship. Yeah. This is really weird because I think there's a lot of people that if they knew they could do this, they would do it. Yeah. <clears throat> she is a best friend for hire. Um, you, do, you sign up for the service and you check off all the things that you're looking for. You can pick anything you want. You can have the person be tall, short, fat, thin, black, white. Um, you know, you can, you can pick what type of interest they have. She'll have something in common. So it's kind of like 
uh, it's a little bit like Tinder, except you don't, you can't date them. You can't have sex with them. You know, you can't do any of that type of stuff because that's just creepy and weird and icky. So you're not allowed to do that. It's very, very above board. It's for simply for people to, to be friends with, to hang out with. And Audrey is, she's a hoot. Audrey, she's, she's got a, a bit of a British accent, but she, but Frankie has no idea if it's, if it's, fake British accent or if it's a real British accent. Mm-hmm. She doesn't even know if Audrey's real name is Audrey. She thinks maybe maybe they gave her that name because of Audrey Hepburn because Frankie's a huge movie fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they just hang out and do stuff together. They go see movies together and they go, you know, um, just do stuff together. Then they, and even though Frankie knows inside of her head that that Audrey is paid to spend time with her. She tries to ignore that fact and put it out of her head. She just likes the fact that, that Audrey does stuff with her and that makes her feel good. It's kind of I wonder sad, how many people would do that. If there's such I a thing a as, you know, buy a friend. I wonder how many people, young kids, would do that. I mean, you have to I be careful. You don't know who would. they are. I, people would. I, actually, I make a bet they would. That's scary. I bet they would, too. I bet they would, yeah. No, my mother used to pick my friends. She had a list. Seriously, <laughs> I had to go by. I'm serious, I had to go by the list. And if they weren't on the list, they weren't allowed to come, and they wasn't allowed to be friends. My sister did that to my sister, but only me. And I had good friends. That's, they were all smart. That, that well, was scary. Uh, I'm sure. They, I'm sure, but that's still kind of kind of weird for me. Yeah, she was. She was an experience. So, how does that's she that. meet Mike? How does she meet Mike? How does Frankie meet Mike? Um. Uh, she meets Mike um, at the zombie apocalypse. She sees him, and mm-hmm. she notices him, and she becomes uh, curious about him. But he doesn't seem to show any interest in her and leaves and pisses her off And mm-hmm. because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't come and hit on her and chat her up, and that bums her out because, again, she's been out of a dating game for so long that she doesn't really remember how it works. But eventually she does meet him there, and they do chat, and they hit it off and they actually have a first date. And let me tell you, writing that was fun. Um, uh, I had a lot of first dates <laughs> in my single days. And so I was reaching deep into my past to try to, to encapsulate that, and that was an awful lot of fun, an awful lot of fun. I won't tell you about my first dates. I didn't have too much of anything. <laughs> Except except for the ones that my father allowed me to go on, and he usually introduced me to people that were extremely wealthy that I didn't like. And they were—I was like 17, 18 years old. I'm not that old anyway. And he would introduce me to people that were like 36 and close to 40. Well, they're rich. I said, Dad, what? I'll pick my own. No, uh-uh. yeah. I didn't consider money a reason to go out with somebody. Not like that. So uh, tell us more about. Yeah, tell us more about Dak and the Odin Theater. That's an interesting, the theater is interesting. Oh, the Odeon? Yeah, the Odeon Theater, Odeon, like yeah. I said, it's a, run, it's a run-down theater. It's a, it's a small time, you know, every every town's got them. Um, and, you know, they'll have some bands there, and they'll have magicians, and they'll have, uh, you know, stand-up comics. It's just... You know, it's a, a like a, any theater you've seen on a dingy street corner in your life, and and that's just you know again that's that's the place that's the place that um, that Frankie has honed her craft over the years. She's she's a regular there, and so you know the only reason so, I think a lot of you know people come there on on a Thursday night to see her is because the drinks are cheap. That's interesting. That's a good reason, I guess. So, why not? Sure. Grayson rents it out. So why will this increase well, just, revenue for him and the theater? And why a fundraiser? I like Grayson. He's, well, he's sneaky, but exactly. he, Grayson, there's something, there's something actually, about him. You just have to like him. Yeah. He, he's a very quiet character. He's a very quiet character, which I thought would be interesting and important for somebody that powerful. I don't want him to be mm-hmm. flamboyant. I don't want him to yeah. be... 
I don't want him to be bigger than life. I didn't want him to be, you know, a look at me person like Elon Musk. I wanted him to be very mm-hmm. just with, you know, withdrawn and quiet and reasonable and understanding. Um, and that's kind of the way he is. And so when Frankie um, comes back with her counter offer to perform for him, she says, mm-hmm. how about we have you have me perform at this theater because then she can make it as a, she suggests, um, a, you know, a fundraiser. It'll be a very philanthropic effort. It'll make Grayson look good, like her purveyor of the arts. And it'll help out Dak, the owner of the theater. So she figures that she can help a lot of people by doing this. Mm-hmm. And she is astonished that he actually agrees. So how did you create the scenes where she does her act, and what research into what she does did you do? Uh, when she's doing her illusions, her, no, excuse me, she doesn't do illusions. She does mentalism. Okay, there is a yeah. distinction. Okay, so mentalism is again, you know, it's like reading minds and things yeah. like that. It's, it's uh, but she, uh, I, I did a lot of research. I was like magic growing up. You know, I did magic shows as a kid and stuff like that. Oh, nice. And, uh, and you know, when I was a kid, I I, you, I, I don't know how old you are, but do you remember Doug Henning, the performer back in the 70s no. at all? Now, well, he was a big, big magician back in the day, and I always thought he was pretty cool. And so I, I just did a lot of research on, on magic and mentalism, and I was just, I watched a lot of videos and read an awful lot on mm mentalism performances on things that people would do, you know, um, hypnotism and things like that. Mm. And I just found it fascinating. I just found it really, really fascinating how people can persuade others to say or do something without them mm-hmm. even noticing it. Um, there is a wonderful, wonderful video where this uh, really famous mentalist persuades the actor, Simon Pegg, to think that he wants a particular thing for his birthday when he really doesn't. But he, over the course of two minutes, he convinces him that this is what he wants for his birthday. And Simon absolutely believes it and and says so himself. And so I wanted to have Frankie have that same ability. She is so persuasive. She knows exactly the Mm. right things to say and and the right things to ask to get other people to say and do things that she wants. It's a really nice talent to have. That's scary, too. I wish I could do that. So how does she... You could if you you studied it. I'm really good at persuading people to do things, you know, but only positively. I mean, I have a niece that is... She's just got three songs dropped. um, So that she's out there. And they just one dropped in January, one dropped in February. She just has a third one that I'm not crazy about. And um, I tried to explain to her, like I convinced her a little. I said, it's very nice that you're going into music and that you're making the videos. I said, no, if you would put some clothes on, it would help because they're inappropriate. Uh-huh. I said, and maybe well, you, she's supposed to be going for a second class in college, and she better. And she's in Florida. And I, I said, you know what? Your grandmother died. I promised I would nag you forever, just like she would. So, Yeah. You try to convince people, but you, to a point. So how does she interact with Myrna, and why does she tell Myrna about her mother? Well, uh, again, Myrna is the, is the uh, I don't want to call her the inquisitor, because that would be mean. Yeah. She is the interviewer. Um, but um, Frankie tells, tells Myrna everything, you know. Like I said, Frankie opens up to Myrna because Myrna is a really good listener. And Frankie tells her about the relationship with her mother, which was hugely important to Frankie. Mm-hmm. She worshipped her mother. Her mother was just a character. Um, her mother, if you've ever seen the movie Auntie Mame, um, she, her mother was Auntie Mame, this bigger-than-life character who lived the life of, you know, the world is a banquet most poor suckers are starving to death. Live, live, live. You know, that was her mother's attitude before her mother, unfortunately, died of cancer. And so Frankie uh, really looked up to her mom, and that's why when her mom passed away, it was devastating 
to her, and that's why she celebrates her mother's birthday, uh, and and will never ever change that. So that's that was uh, that was the whole um, element of uh, talking to Myrna about her mom. I know how that feels, but usually, like uh, yesterday was my mother-in-law, Mom Lewis's birthday, so I post a poem. I post a poem on the person's birthday to celebrate their birthday. And people read it, and if they don't like it, I don't care. It's just something I want to say. So before I forget, Thursday, Connie DeMarco is here with Serpent's Doom. On the 7th, someone we know and love, Don Bentley is here with the new Tom Clancy. Guess who gets the first interview with Zero Hour? Me. (laughs) And on the 9th, Alan Topol, the Chinese agent. On the 13th, The Cry of the Innocent. And on the 16th, New York Times author I've never interviewed before, Robert uh, Robert uh, McCaw with uh, Treasury Times 2. And that's just not all of them. And on the 27th, I've got three every single week. Following that, on the 27th, Tess Gerenson, Listen to Me. So this show, this show is like, look, if, any, well, if anybody has um, a book coming out, they better tell me because I'm in November. I finished the last one for, this, for October already. So I have like two and three in November. Yeah, I can't believe it. This never happened before. So I just filled in the last, the last interview for October, and I've got nothing until December, people, November. So how would you describe, no. though, that Frankie does not remember anything about death warrant and does she tell Mike about it does she ever realize what's happening no of course not if she did then that would ruin the whole story that's the whole idea behind this thing is she doesn't know Um, you know Alfred Hitchcock once said that um, that, uh, suspense is the um, the viewer knowing more than the protagonist and that's what we've got here the reader knows that Frankie is scheduled to die Frankie does not know that she's scheduled to die. And so every single person that she meets, maybe it's Mike, maybe it's, uh, you know, the the barista in her coffee shop. Every person she meets could be a death warrant assassin. She doesn't know that, but the reader does, and that's the fun. Does she ever realize that there's such a program, or does she not really know what it is? no, she knows. She knows the, the TV show exists because everybody oh, knows yeah. the TV show exists. It's the biggest show on the work in the in the world. How the show works is, you know, everybody's got the death warrant app on their their phone, or what's called an optic. Uh, it's 50 years in the future again. And so when the TV show goes on the air, nobody knows when an episode's going to break. And so all of a sudden you mm. just get pinged. You know, all of a sudden your phone blows up and you're like up and the world for all intents and purposes grinds to a halt everybody stops to watch that moment uh, to watch the episode so you could go months without an episode dropping and then all of a sudden boom it happens and everybody watches with rapt attention so that's how the show works I wonder how they react I wonder if they, if anybody ever really did a television show of this book or something, how people would react. It'd be really interesting. Uh, I think in this day and age, it still you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't fly. <laughs> I don't think it would fly. Um, I guess I kind of looked at the TV show sort of like the mm-hmm. the the arena with the uh, the Colosseum uh, with the Romans. You know, give them uh, give them bread and circuses. Mm-hmm. You know. People would need something to, to distract them from their own lives. And so uh, they watched this, this horrible, horrible thing. But over time, I wanted to put this in the future so that mm-hmm. I wanted to say that maybe that we've slowly, very slowly, without even noticing, you know, that we've become used to bad things. We've become inured to death. Um, I wanted to, to kind of play this like the frog in the pot of water that you don't know that the water's boiling until it's too late. The water's slowly gotten warmer and warmer mm-hmm. and warmer until you don't realize it. And that's what I kind of wanted to say with this book is over time we haven't noticed that we've, that we've no longer been shocked 
by people being killed for entertainment. And um, that's why people watch it, because they haven't even really noticed that, that it, uh, what's become of them. You know, it's become normal. It's become normalized. Do they realize it's real? I mean, I mean, the book is fake. Oh, but yeah. They, re- they realize it's real. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, it doesn't, it doesn't and nobody has ever survived. Nobody has ever nope. survived. Nope. That's Everybody even scarier. Who's been, that's been on the show is, is dies, and that's another factor of going, you know, another thing going against Frankie is nobody's ever survived. So how did you create Baltic? What did he have to do with, with her death? Did he have something to do with it? Nope. Nope. He doesn't have anything to do with, with uh, no. her, the playing of this. Well, at least to the best of it, the, the reader's knowledge. I mean, again, he is a character in the book, so he could be an assassin. Uh, don't know. Can't say. Don't want to give anything away. No, we don't. We don't want to do that at all. Mm-hmm. So I can't tell anybody how what happens uh, at the end or anything like that. No, you do not. But no, because no, I will tell you, I do not. Uh, let me just ask you this: Did you did you uh, guess how it would end? I was hoping that I was right. Yeah, I did, sort of, but, but I'm not going to say whether I did. I, yeah, I got I nervous. Not, I honestly do not believe. I honestly do not believe people will predict how things will play out at the end. I really it's don't horrible. think they My, will. People complain that I usually get it, so it's scary. But the the next part over here, that last chapter, that that I I knew it was going to play out, but I didn't know that was brilliant. I have to tell you, what what oh, you did you. at the end and the last the last few pages, three twenty two, three twenty three to three twenty five, which is in front of me. I went like, holy God. <laughs> <laughs> that that was abs- how did you come up with that ending? I mean, I knew I was praying whatever. Can't say any why, but <laughs> she doesn't. She doesn't Thank know you. that that's the person, Thank does she? They're, 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 again, we're not going to give anything away. Um, no. In the last few pages, I just just uh, all I can tell you is I thoroughly enjoyed writing the ending. I really enjoyed writing the ending. I wanted to throw a curveball. That was a huge one. That was a huge one. <laughs> good. No, my good. my my reading professor, who um, taught me everything, and he reminds me that I'm smart. Whatever, <laughs> uh, said to me, "Did you get you know you understand everything?" I said, "Yeah, to a point, thanks to you, because the man the man was out was outrageous. Yeah, he 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 understands just about everything that there is. He's the foremost uh, authority in reading." And that's my that's my field of reading reading uh, I did taught reading for a long time and reading and writing, so it's it's great and I was just um, there's an article about me in Eyes Magazine about my how I review books what my career was I, I didn't even know what they were doing it it was like an unexpected surprise and I did send it to my to the professor and he said I'm really proud of you I said so your fault what can I say. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, well done. So, well done. What are you gonna What are you gonna write next? Well, I've already finished the first draft of a young adult book um, that I'll probably start doing a second pass on here soon, and I've also uh, I'm finishing up putting the last touches on a children's book that I'm gonna probably uh, look for some representation for before long, and then I've got an mm-hmm. idea for. Um, uh, nonfiction book uh, as well. I don't stay in the same um, genre. I jump all around. I mean, I, I had a nonfiction true crime book that came out last October, so I'm all over the map. That, that is good, to be different. But children's books are my like favorite. Oh, children's good. books yeah. are my well, favorite. Who knows? We'll see, if that, we'll see if anybody's interested. We'll find out. Well, you know what? I learned something. When I first published my first children's book with the com- with the publishing company, I would never use ever again. But the book was really good. It's called My Name Is Bertha. And my before my sister died, she said, "Why don't you do something?" Well, I weighed like a hundred and nothing pounds. I weighed like close to two hundred because I was eating myself from aggravation because of my mom. So she said, "Why don't you write a book?" You know, we have a book. I said, "You're going to be sorry because I'm writing about us." Two stories growing up in the South Bronx with my sister. 
So it's sort of kept her alive in in that, yeah. But I found that children's books are hard to get published. So I went when I went to do um, the book I wrote about my mother with Alzheimer's and stuff. I used uh, Robinette Fidelli Publishing. She's a self-publisher and she's really good, excellent. She does a great book, but I know most people don't want to pay for it. My last book, Population Zero, I did go to an independent publisher. I won't say what. I, it was so too much money. They did a great job, but they did nothing to promote it, and they were supposed to. They did absolutely nothing. Hmm. And I'm sorry which, to which, hear that. You know, I was so was I because a New York Times author told me to use them. So I said, so much okay. for your input. Right. What can I say? The book is really wow. different, like I said, but, yeah, been. So how do you conceive your ideas? I mean, this one was interesting. So for the next one, for why a book, which is my other favorite thing, I love them too, well, how do you conceive your ideas to write your books? Uh, that's a good question. That is the question, the $64,000 question. Um, my, uh, my profession is I'm, uh, I'm a creative director. I'm a writer. And so my brain just thinks a little bit differently, I think, than, you know, most people. I'm just all over the map. Um, Creativity comes from everything you're exposed to, you know. So everything you see, feel, hear, uh, experience is always fodder for material. It's always fodder for a new book idea. And it's just when you see something, usually you just kind of notice it. You know, all of a sudden mm-hmm. a little light will go off above your head, a little ding mm-hmm. will happen inside your head, and you'll go, oh, that could be interesting. You know, like I said, I was driving to work, just kicking ideas around in my head, and the question that rose to my head was, would you want to know when you were going to die? That's it. That's the only thing. That's what started it. And once then you just start picking at that, and you just start picking at that, and and it leads to other questions. And that's how pretty much any, you know, book uh, you know, that, that I've written is kind of that way. A, a question comes to mind, and then you just start trying to answer the question. And that's where, that's where the things come from. No, I agree. When I wrote Population Zero, I went to the cemetery to see my sister. Then I walked around mm-hmm. different gloomy places, and I said, what would happen? If the world yeah, was all go. dark. What would happen? What would happen? Yeah, what would That's happen really if you lived in a world that was all cold? What would you do if there was no sun? And I didn't do any research. Mm-hmm. I just made it up. I said, what would happen if a dead body came back and experienced my world? Because when I walk outside in the street, nobody says hello. You're wearing a mask. At least I do. And it was just annoying. And nobody says, nobody smiles anymore. And it's it's really yeah. sad. It's very yep. sad. And a little kid came over to me the other day and said, hello. I said, you just made my day because you smiled at me. You're so cute. Nice. You, nice. No, no, but nobody nobody has any kind of warmth anymore. So I said, you know, maybe they'll, you know, understand it. Most people didn't. What can I say? So sure. I, if I decide to write a sequel, I haven't decided yet. <laughs> But which one do you think is coming out next, and where can we find out more about you and your work? Uh, Well, um, let's see. You can go to uh, my website, which is brianrjohnston.com, which is B-R-Y-A-N, letter R, and Johnston with a T, dot com. And um, that's where you can find some stuff about me. Um, like I said, my, the next book that I'm working on is simply a work in progress, and I haven't even shopped it, so who knows if it'll even happen. Don't know. Um, but um, Death Warrant comes out here uh, April, excuse me, June 21st through mm-hmm. Tamcat Publishing. You can pre-order it. You can get it pretty much anywhere. Um, and uh, I hope you do. I think you'll really enjoy the book. It's, it was such a pleasure to write. I had so much fun. The main character, Frankie, is a delightful person to hang out with. Um, I think you'll really, really enjoy the book. I hope you enjoy it. Well, I have the I have a, um, a doctor. I don't go to see him. I don't have to see him all the time. But he says when I come past his office, I have to bring books. This is a fact. This is not making up. This is a fact. So your book out here, there's about 20 books that I've read in the last two weeks. And 
Dr. Mermelstein's wife is getting them next Wednesday. He, he, I mean, he literally them. called me one day and he said, you're the only person that comes to my office that's really smart. He says, and I know you read a lot. He said, would you mind if you gave me all of your books? Because he has three houses and he wants to fill the shelves and his wife doesn't want to go to the library. It's much easier to get the books from me. And who am I to say no? I was like totally honored. I said, not a problem. So when I, they called the other day, they said, when are you coming? I said, a week from Wednesday with about 30 bucks. How's that? Wow. Because <laughs> he said, yeah. They, okay. He, they, she'll, she'll, she'll read it, definitely. And I get some feedback from some people. But if Frankie could speak out, what would she tell people? Did she learn anything? What would she tell people? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> what could she tell people? What could she tell people? That's a really good question. Darn it. Wish I'd prepared an answer for that one. Um, I just wanted to tell it. people. You threw you threw me a curveball. Dang it! Um, no, I didn't mean I never to do that. A curveball. Well, if if Frankie <laughs> ever really knew what she went through, I don't want. I want. I would be curious. You don't have to answer this. Yes, she would. Would you be curious it. if yeah. she would do it again? She because she really do doesn't because, know that she did it. Well, because you know, again, I don't want to give a spoiler alert. No. A spoiler because she has a secondary reason for doing what she's doing. That's all I'm going to say, okay? She has a secondary reason, and it's really important. Well, I want to thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. It brightened my morning, that's for sure, because who knows what's coming next anymore. Yeah. But this is great. Well, thank you, Fran. I really enjoyed um, it. I had a really nice time. You're really great. This is interesting because, you know, every author, I've interviewed so many people in the last 10 years that, you know, some people are okay, some people, this is fun. And this book was like, I read it, and I read it like two hours, and I go, and I read it again, and I go like, did you really read that? And in the ending, like I said, <laughs> you got to read it, people. You're going to want to, you're going to want to, you're going to want to read it a couple of times and go like, oh, my God. But, Brian, thank uh. you so much, everybody. Have a great day, and do something kind for somebody. And if you see people in the street, say good morning. Go. What's wrong with that? Out of way. Everybody Thank you, have Fran, a great... very much. You're welcome. Thank you, and bye. Bye-bye.